Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Amen. Well, we're in our 150 chapters on the end times, and uh, this session is on 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so as been the case for many of these sessions, I'm going to read the passage and then we'll <coughs> break it down uh, into uh, kind of some little sub points. If you, again, if you don't have a copy of the notes, we can get you those uh, as well as uh, we've got the availability online um, if you want to go to the resource tab and uh, go to uh, uh, recent teachings. You can see tonight's notes. So, okay, so we're in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I, I just want to give just a little bit of an uh, of intro even before we read it, and that is, this is, just to give some context, kind of, you know, connect the dots here. A few weeks ago, we did 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So it's Paul writing to the church of Corinth, and it's the first letter that we have written to Corinth by Paul. And he writes chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, and it is the longest, uh, most detailed uh, chapter or, or passage that we have on the resurrection, on resurrected bodies. It's a very detailed passage. Well, here now we're in a second letter to Corinth. This is now a, another letter that Paul is writing. <clears throat> and we have another chapter about the resurrection. And so it's to the same church, and he's giving additional details. I like that we know that it's to the same church because he's not having to repeat all the details that he did before. He's able to add some details, but tie in some concepts that he mentioned previously. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be looking at here. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because, we are because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit and talk about some of the kind of the major themes here. One theme is our journey into the resurrection. What does it look like? Uh, this, you know, we, as we kind of uh, looked at in 1 Corinthians 15 and are now following up here in 2 Corinthians 5, <clears throat> what does it look like to go from this current stage in life where we have non-resurrected bodies, we have mortal bodies, <clears throat> and to make the transition 
into having eternal bodies or glorified bodies or resurrected bodies. And so we've got a few verses here that kind of help detail some of that process a little bit. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5.1, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. Now, first of all, uh, this, in this passage, Paul is describing some new details, but he's also tying in some of the old ones. And so Paul starts off this passage reassuring us with the certainty that when our earthly bodies perish, when we die, we're not done. This is a huge point because, you know, there are some ideas in Christianity that we're familiar enough with that we have lost the, the, uh, the power or the feeling of these revelations because they become so a second hat to us. We're so accustomed to them. But the idea for a human, and think about these Corinthians that are living in a, you know, in a, in a, in a Greek culture, in Roman you know, uh, times, and, and they've got all these different uh, philosophical thoughts and all these gods and all, all this stuff. For them to be told and instructed, when you die, you don't die. You are going to live forever. You have an eternal reality, and, and it's true, and it's fact, and it's Jesus, and it's gospel, and it's kingdom, and it's, it's Christianity, and it's your faith. This is an empowering reality to them. And so Paul is assuring them that we know with certainty that if our earthly tent is destroyed, we have an eternal tent. And at this point, he's kind of starting to bounce back and forth between two ideas that we're going to develop. And that is our tent in this life, he's describing our body, and our dwelling or our building in the age to come, he's describing both our body and he's also describing the fact that we're going to live in heaven. It's kind of a dual purpose here that, that he's touching on. And so the first point is just that there is a promise for those who die. So your journey in this life that you can know with certainty. Again, I know this is a revelation we already understand. We believe that in Christ we have eternal life. But like we've got to be thinking about the power of this revelation because as we're diving into the subject of the glorified body, like you really want to be able to feel this revelation. All right, so the next point that he makes in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 2 through 4, he says it this way, meanwhile, we groan. He says, okay, so we know that if you die, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to be clothed in a heavenly tent instead of this earthly tent. He says, but meanwhile, we groan. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Now, I just think that it's interesting that Paul, when he's talking about the resurrection, he's talking about a resurrected body, he stresses the point that life is tough. He wants us to understand that <clears throat> this glorified body is a big deal because it's the end to your suffering. But it's important that we know that there's an end because you are promised to suffer. While you are in this present tent, you're going to have bad days, stub your toe, and your friend's going to get mad. Like you're going to have hardships, and then there's the real hardships. Those are just the daily, you know, kind of, you know, rigmarole of life. But he promises, he's like, while we're in this tent, we're burdened. It is going to be trialsome, troublesome. You're going to have difficulties. And it's important to recognize that because the glory of the resurrection is the end of those aches and those pains. But also the glory of the resurrection is 
You're going to have those aches and pains this side of eternity. It's just going to be part of the deal. So as in other passages, you know, do not think it odd when you face trials of many kinds, my brothers. I mean, there's a number of passages that describe it, but this is one of them. And Paul's teaching on the resurrection, and he says, listen, if you're having problems, congratulations, you're a normal human. If you're having aches, if you're burdened, if life is not going the way that you want it to, and you've got struggles in this age, he says that's because this age is destined for those kinds of things. So meanwhile, we groan. I mean, that groan is like, he doesn't say, meanwhile, we owie. Meanwhile, we have, you know, semi-bad days. Groaning is like, oh, <laughs> these are hardships. This is bad. He's like, yes, that's part of the package, this side of eternity. And then I love that Paul here, as well as other places, he just gets so real. And it's like, if you didn't know the rest of the story, you would think that this dude was, you know, on the edge, you know, about ready to end it. He says this, he says, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I mean, if, if you're not reading between the lines here, he's like, there's a big part of me that wishes I could check out early. He goes, we are confident. Look at that. I say, I mean, anytime, I, anytime a person says, I say, you just know they're serious, right? He says, we are confident. I say and would prefer. It is the preference. He is admitting that he and really anybody with the revelation of what the resurrected body is would actually prefer, given the choice by God, to be with him now and not here on earth. I mean, that's pretty candid talk right there from a mature apostle telling us that this is the aches and the burdens of this life are so great. He's like, yeah, I get it. If you would rather be with God and have a resurrected, or you know, move towards your, your resurrection, you've got a home in heaven before you get that resurrection. Uh, he says, if you would rather that, he's, I get it, because the burdens in this life are that intense. It also makes, just think about this for a second, it also makes the reality of that life all the more certain and real. Because how could a person, how could Apostle Paul desire to leave real life and go to fake life floating out in the air somewhere? Because that's not what it is. It's real life. It's a continuation of this real life with your current memories and experiences and, and all the different details of your life. You carry those things over because your life doesn't end, it just transitions. You go from this age to the next. All right. Next, I love that this is one of the places that we get the quotation, we live by faith and not by sight. Did you know that this passage where we see this phrase, we live by faith and not by sight, did you know that it's in the passage about the resurrection? Think about the power of that and what's being communicated. <clears throat> this is Paul saying, we live by faith and not by sight, meaning a significant part of your continued existence is you believing that the resurrection is your real future, and you're believing that by faith, and you're making decisions accordingly because you don't live by what you see, this natural life, merely. You live according to the reality, to the promise that we, when we perish, we have an eternal reality and not just this natural one. I mean, this is a big deal. 
So when we talk about the subject of living by faith and not by sight, there's a hundred applications and probably all of them are good. But here in this passage, a primary uh, um, uh, implication, whatever, of of this concept is that we would actually apply it in our day-to-day living and go, I have an internal glory waiting for me. I have a resurrected body. I'm going to live in heaven. And currently, I'm kind of a fool on the planet because all these other people are running around thinking that what they see is life. And I'm a weirdie because I believe that what I see right now is just a shadow is just a dim reflection. It's just the, the early stages of kindergarten by comparison to where we are going in the future. And he says, this is actually the way we are to live our lives. We're to live in light of the promised resurrection. Think about what that equals, especially as we dive into some of the ramifications of those choices. Think about what that means for our daily decisions, our, our daily attitude. I like to think about this when I'm sober thinking in sad moments. Now, I'll just say, it is challenging to be sober thinking when you're sad. It is challenging to be sober thinking when you're mad. But we want to reach for sober thinking when we're sad and mad and whatever other bad thing you can think of. We want to reach for sober thinking. When I have sober thinking and I'm in one of those moments... I like to remind myself, whatever bad thing happened today, I'm going to have a resurrected body and I'm going to live forever. (laughs) Really, how bad is it? How bad, by comparison to billions of years of no pain, glorified existence, is the car accident? I don't like car accidents. I don't like the ramifications of them. I don't like bad news. I don't like it, just like you. But really, in the grand scheme of things, whatever horrible thing, could you really compare it? These light and momentary afflictions, could you really honestly compare it to the glory that is to come? When we have sober minds... We can thrive in the midst of pain and disappointment and difficulty. And this is why Paul says, we live by faith and not by what we see or what we experience on a Tuesday. He says, we are those people. We are those that reach to not be touched by circumstance because we understand where we're going and what our future holds. That's powerful. I mean, if you can meditate on this and get a hold of it, This is powerful. This changes bad days and seasons. All right, there's a little freebie for you. All right, so to be clothed with our eternal home. Now, this is where I'm going to kind of touch on this twofold reality. Paul talks about our eternal home. And as he does, he means both getting an upgrade in our physical body as well as getting an upgrade in our permanent residence. When he says home... It's kind of an interesting thing because he's kind of playing on two realities at the same time. And we will receive both of these at the same time when we are clothed in the glorious resurrection. And there are several references that connect and even combine these two ideas, not just in this passage, but other places as well. 
even though traditionally we think of these two things as very distinct. And again, they are different. To get a resurrected body and to live in heaven are not the same thing. But there is some significant overlap to the point where Paul doesn't make the distinction when he's talking about them. He just allows them. It's all part of the package deal. And this is Paul who the Lord permitted to write with great clarity to give us great revelation on the resurrected body who is currently in heaven without a resurrected body. And so the Lord's good with this whole theology and he's good with the messenger preaching the message just the way he preached it. And anyway, okay, so let's start. Heaven will forever be our home. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. Heaven will forever be our home. So <clears throat> talking right now, <clears throat> we'll combine the two ideas in a second, but talking right now, specifically about the heaven part of things, so not the resurrected body. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. Those are some powerful phrases to spend some time meditating because on because these, these phrases are different from one another. A building from God, an eternal house that is located in heaven. These are, these are beautiful. Well, Jesus taught us similarly. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. So there you could say the building is the Father's house. And then many rooms is an eternal house in that heaven, okay? In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. This is just amazing. Now, one of the things that I, just to be honest, I don't have clear theology on. But Jesus is supposed to be going and making places for us. It seems like at a bare minimum, as the you know, GM over the, over the uh, construction project, he would have to at least visit the construction site once. I mean, and maybe more. Maybe he's like doing some of the work. I mean, he says he's going to go prepare a place. It seems like he would have to go and at least inspect these places once. But that means leaving the throne room. But isn't he supposed to be on the throne getting worshipped all the time? Again, I don't have all this figured out. But there is some dimension of Jesus leaving that room and doing things other than just being on that throne. Okay? I mean, even the heavenly encounters that people have had where it's like they saw Jesus. Okay, well, was he still in heaven on the throne being worshipped? Maybe. There's just there's some dynamics here that I, again, I'm admitting, I don't have all this figured out. But what I do have figured out is that there are places in heaven which are being prepared by Jesus for us. <clears throat> and Paul references these just as just a kind of an in-passing statement. He says, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. We have a place to live. We have a, a dwelling in heaven and it's a description. He calls it a home. A home that's, that's so much more intimate than barracks. You know? We have barracks in heaven where all of us will be given, you know, a cot and, you know, a little food bowl. And I was like, this, no, we, we have a home. And then Jesus is like, oh, it's better than that. I go and I'm going to prepare it for you and you. And he says, 
If this weren't true, I wouldn't be telling you guys this. I wouldn't be having this conversation. If I didn't want you to understand, you're going to have an individual home in heaven that I'm going to go and prepare. Places. My father's house has many rooms. I'm going to go prepare rooms. I'm going to go prepare places for you. He says, if this weren't the case, I would not be saying this to you. I would not be getting your hopes up. You have a home there. Wow. Cool. Next point that we see here in 2 Corinthians 5, 5 5.1, not built by human hands. I just, what does it look like when God built heaven? So Jesus is a carpenter on earth. Just think about the connection points there. Jesus is a carpenter. He took on the family business because his father is a carpenter and an architect. And his father built heaven. So Jesus is on earth and he's building stuff. And he's, he's fine-tuning his skills because when he goes back to heaven, he goes back to construction. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I am going to go do what my father does. I'm actually going to do what I've been doing down here. I'm going to build you a house. Holy moly. I just think about heaven, it doesn't exist. And then sometime later, it does exist. And it doesn't exist by a genie blink or a snap of the fingers. It exists by a building project. And the hands aren't human. But there are hands building it. And I just think as much as God is into partnership, there were angels pulling their weight and doing stuff. I just, it does not sound like God that he built this city with zero help. Maybe he did. We'll get there and he'll be like, well, Brad, you were really wrong on that point. Okay, I could be okay with that. I just think as much as we know about the way that the Father uses partnership, the way that he loves team ministry, the way I just, I just picture him as the architect and the builder. But anytime you talk about an architect and a builder, there's nobody that's ever built a whole building by themselves that was the architect and builder. I mean, maybe some house. But it's like this idea of, of a corporate effort. And so whether I'm right on that point or not, we know that God built heaven. Here's Hebrews 11.10, which backs it up. We've, you know, I kind of was alluding to it. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. God built heaven. So heaven is our eternal reality. It is a reward in, uh, in the next age. And it is built. It was built by God. And I... I just think about, he does all things well, and he built heaven, and then Jesus is still building it. He's, he's building it out. He's finishing it out. There were some shells, you know, some rooms that needed some fine-tuning and, and customizing. He built heaven. So just some good doctrine for us. <clears throat> but now let's start to see this next transition here. To be clothed with our heavenly dwelling is is this objective that we see here in uh, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, and then also in 1 Corinthians 15. Same kind of idea. So I'm going to look at these two uh, overlapping passages, okay? So uh, 5, 2 through 4, this is out of 2 Corinthians, and then uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, 
Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, Paul previously in 1 Corinthians, he wrote, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. It's very similar to the way he just wrote it at the end of that passage or that verse. He says, so that the mortal may be swallowed up by life. That death has been swallowed up in victory. I mean, it's same, same things. You can tell this is the same author. We're going to be given a new body, and we're going to inherit heaven as our new home. But Paul speaks about these two realities as corresponding in an overlapping way that is far more uh, uh, together than we're accustomed to think about. We are used to thinking about these two things in a very distinct way. But it seems like from God's perspective that these two things are part of the same one thing, and that is the glorious resurrection, this longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Well, that language sounds a lot more like heaven as a location. But then in the same passage, he says, but what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Well, that seems to be talking a lot more about the resurrected body, that that our physical body is going to be swallowed up with immortality. But he's using these things interchangeably. He's, <coughs> he's talking about these two things because I've used this analogy before for you. But in the long run, and we want to think the long game. We want to get inside God's head and think about the long game. In a million years, the majority of human existence will have been on the other side of the resurrection, not on this side of the resurrection. And then in in a billion years, (laughs) this life and this whole mortal body thing is going to be the most distant memory we're reading about in history books. You know I mean? It is going to be such an old thing. So when Paul is talking about these two things, I think he's really carrying the heart of God related to, look, Bottom line, you're going to have a resurrected body and you're going to live in heaven and it's going to be epic. And it's going to be that way forever. And this is the reward for those that have given their life to Christ and have believed on him and have been saved. And then what manner of life you have in that resurrected body, well, that, that has to do with your choices. What manner of house you have in heaven, well, that's going to rest on your choices. But the fact of your heaven, a home in heaven, and the fact of your resurrected body, it is a done deal. And it, you are going to have those things. Pretty cool. Now, this is a phrase that I am just, I'm moved by. I hope that you'll spend some time meditating on it, reading about it, singing it, whatever. I hope that you'll be moved by this phrase as well. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5.5 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Okay, now let's think about this for a second. What is the purpose? Well, the purpose is that we would have a resurrected body and we would live in heaven forever. That's the purpose. But then it says this, God fashioned you for that reason. Huh? Yeah, He's sitting around going, you know what? I got this big old heaven. I'd like to populate it. I'd like for there to be people here. Also, I'd like for them to be in such a state that I don't have to kill them. 
So they need a resurrected body, and I want them to live with me in my house. I will create humans for this purpose. I will fashion creatures in my image so that they could come and live with me in heaven one day. Oh my gosh. Now think about that for the lostest, meanest person that's ever lived. He created humans for this purpose. They were fashioned, not the good ones from the bad ones, not the this ones from the that ones, or this age, or this hour in history. He fashioned humans for the purpose of getting a resurrected body and living in heaven forever. That is so marvelous. Like, yes, that's why we exist. We don't exist so that we can not go to hell. We don't exist for all these sub... We exist. We were created to live with a resurrected body in heaven with God forever. It's the purpose of humans. Wow. That's awesome. That's really great. Now, of course, the prerequisite is that we give our lives to Jesus so that we can be transformed, we can become that new creation. We get the deposit guaranteeing our future, <coughs> the Holy Spirit. But this is why people exist. Like, God is really after this. You just imagine the angels. Like, what are you doing over there? Why are you, what are you, what are you creating? Why are you doing that? Why are you making those people? He's like, well, you see this big old heaven. And they go, yeah. What do you think I made it so big for? Well, I don't know. We kind of got used to like it's just me and us and you up here. No, I just make a bunch of people. And then let's, let's give them a way to get here <laughs> and to be with us because I, I actually, I want this place filled with them, all of them. God so loved the world. God loves everybody. He wants everybody to be with him up there. That's his desire. It's the purpose for making people. Okay, I made the point loud and clear. Hopefully, Brad, stop ranting. While in the body, look at these, these verses that we see here. He says it three times here in this passage. And I want to just you know read them real quick. He says, as long as we are at home in the body. And he says, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And then he says, things done while in the body. So here's three different <clears throat> phrases that we get from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So this is Paul using a little bit cryptic language. I mean, it's not so cryptic, but it's a bit mysterious. <coughs> he says, while in the body. What he means is, while you're alive, but even more than that, he wants to make it clear, the real, real you is the resurrected you that's going to live with God forever because that's the purpose of your life. That's the real, real you. So while we're in the kind of the warm-up you called this body, God has some purposes for you. While you're in this body, <clears throat> there's some things we're supposed to think, things we're supposed to believe, things we're supposed to reach for. And so he says this, <clears throat> who has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Think about the way that Paul is talking about that in like the real version of you is that when you're with the Lord. 
It's like, as long as you're in this momentary blip, you're in the, what, an 80-year, 100-year version of you, as long as you're in that, you're away from your, your fullness and your purpose because you were on purpose created by God to be in heaven forever with a resurrected body. It's just really interesting. <clears throat> then he says, oh, oh, and the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment. Think about, think about this transaction. <clears throat> he puts the Holy Spirit in us as a down payment. You know, think about that down payment concept, okay? If you're buying a car or house or something, okay? The idea is <clears throat> you're going to put down some of the money that's going to buy you the thing. And when you put that money down, you have begun the process, but you've not yet bought the house. You've not yet, you know, purchased it. But you've started the process. You put down that earnest money, put that down, that down payment. And as a result, you're now moving towards the reality of eventually that house is yours or that car is yours. The Holy Spirit was put into us as a piece of that resurrected reality, that eternal reality, that we're going to live forever in heaven thing. The Holy Spirit was put into us as a deposit that guarantees that you have a home in heaven. This is so cool. He says that's how this works. It's part of the reason that God gives us the Holy Spirit. Yes, to be our counselor. Yes, to be the seal of salvation. All those things. But also to be a deposit that guarantees you your future. So you're like, well, do I have, if I've got the Holy Spirit living in me, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have a guarantee of your future, a resurrected body and a reality in heaven forever because that's the reason God created you. All right, next verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. We make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Now, I think, I'm hopeful, that with a resurrected body and a resurrected mind, and resurrected emotions, and a resurrected will, that it will be far easier to please the Lord. I've just got my fingers crossed on that one. It seems like a fair bet, okay? Paul says, when you receive that resurrection, when you are away from the body and you're with the Lord, your job, your desire, you're going to make it your goal, you're going to make it your aim to please God. He said, but you have a rare opportunity. You have a rare window of time that you're never going to get back. Listen, this is, you want to think about this. You want to allow this to touch you a little bit. You will never again get the opportunity to reach to please God in weakness. You will never get that opportunity again. Only this life. And it lasts but a minute. It is over so quickly. It passes so quickly. I just, to just share and be dumb, I remember like it was yesterday hearing people in their 40s talk about how their 20s and their 30s passed like this as a 20-year-old. And I remember thinking, okay, I guess, I don't know, maybe it's true. It feels like yesterday. It does not feel like 20 years ago that I was 22. That does not feel like 20 years ago. I can remember things, conversations, stuff, stupid stuff I did. and I can remember it like it was yesterday. Life 
passes so quickly. And what I'm told by those that have gone before me is that the time period, the clock only speeds up even more. I'm watching my kids. I had this revelation that JC has been in our house longer than she will be in our house, probably. That we've had her longer than we will have her. And I was like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't here's, here's my thing. Time goes by very quickly. You will wake up in a moment and you will be cut to the heart about this message. I don't mean the whole Second Corinthians thing about this message. You have one opportunity to please God in the body. And when it's gone, you don't have it anymore. And here's the thing. While you're in this body, you will groan. You will have bad days. You'll have sad seasons. You will have hard times. And yet you have one opportunity to please the Lord in this body. And you might go at the end of your life, well, but my life was hard. I wasn't given these opportunities. And no one will have an excuse before him. You have one life to live for Jesus. You have one opportunity. We make it our aim to please the Lord while we are in this body. We make it our aim. And so we choose to to self-denial. We choose to, to operate in righteousness. We choose to invest in the kingdom instead of our flesh. We choose it. We make it our aim, the point of life. Oh, man, God, you said that the purpose of my life is to inherit heaven and a resurrected body. Well, then I am going to make it my life's purpose to please you. And as long as I've got this life, to be able to operate in a reach of love, in weakness, in frailty, in hard times, in disappointments, in imperfections, in quirks and frustrations. I make it my aim to please you in this body because I don't get a second chance at it. You're 100 years. Let's pretend you live that long. It's made up of seconds and hours and days and opportunities. And they pass very quickly. And you'll never get this chance again. Forever we will look back, we will reflect on the minute that we were alive in this body and the decisions that we chose to make. Oh, and so Paul, he, he goes after this because he's like, he's wanting us to think this way. You know that because of what he talks about next. We'll get to it in just a second. He says it this way. He says, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ, which we'll touch on in just a moment. But I just want to point out the fact (coughs) that here it is again. He's given this focus. He says it three times while in the body, while in the body, while in the body. He wants us to be thinking about the limited opportunity that we have. It is fraught with despair and difficulties. He says we groan while we're in the body. We groan. He says, there's going to be problems. He says, but while we're in this body, just know that the Lord is paying attention to everything that we do while in the body, whether good or bad. Here it is in uh, uh, whatever the next Roman numeral is. Five, facing the judgment seat of Christ. This is a 
It's a really important subject. This is one that is, it's a sword that cuts so good. This is one that we want to have revelation of. I'm so grateful that Paul double dips. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about it. And now in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he talks about it. I'm so grateful he's, he's pounding the Corinthians with it. And the Corinthians really needed to get a vision for this because they were in a very different headspace. And he says, says this, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All. There's no escaping this. <clears throat> There's no, well, certain people that are, you know, uh, excellent in the kingdom by man's standards, they'll appear before the judgment seat. Or the ones that are kind of questionable, you know, just that whatever, you know, the bottom 5% of people, it's like, oh, they'll face the judgment seat. No, all you. You want to read it. I will face the judgment seat of Christ. I will appear. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? What happens there? What do we do? So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good things or bad things. Oh my gosh. So intense. So intense. Put me before any other judge because I can hide my stuff from them. You can't hide behind you, behind behind anybody. You you stand before him and you are bare, and it's true. Whatever he sees and assesses, it's true. So that's why Paul says, "We make it our aim. We make it our aim. We are going to make it our aim to live for God. (laughs) In this body, we are going to make it our aim to please Him." To please him in our decisions, in our time, in our investments. Oh, friends. Oh, I'm so, uh, I'm so distraught about consumerism, materialism in our country. I am so distraught about it. Because if we're not careful, we will not just be in it. We will be of it. And we'll stand before the Lord. And he'll go, I gave you the most incredible opportunity and what did you do with it? Well, my culture was really into this and this and this. You had one life to live in weakness before me. Make it your aim to please me. To please me. Oh, our culture says make it your aim to please yourself. It's so normal to make our life about pleasing ourselves. Can I just give you a little free advice? Let's live a different way. Let's go like this. How much pleasing of myself do I require to continue to exist? And then let me give everything I can to the Lord instead of the flip-flop. And the flip-flop is the American dream. 
the flip-flop is the message that we are being told all the time. It's on every billboard. It's in every ad. It's in conversations. It's on everything. Everything is live for yourself and give Jesus a little tip at the end of the day. Friends, this is not your life anymore. And if you live your life for yourself, you will stand before the judgment seat and you will mourn that you lived for yourself. You will mourn. You will, you will have a horrifying revelation that you spent your life on yourself and you thought to yourself, well, my friend, my neighbor, the other guy, I did more than them. It's like, no, no, I gave you Paul's message. We make it our aim to live a life that is pleasing to him. Do we think about that in the course of our decisions? In the course of what we do with our time and our energy and our, our thoughts, do we think, I'm trying to please you? Oh, God, what does it look like to please you right now? How do you want me to respond that would please you? What do you want me to do with my time that would please you? What do you want me to do with my relationships and my energy and my money? What would please you? Because I want to please you. Oh, God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the starting point of anything intelligent. The fear of the Lord. Oh, God, help us to have the fear of the Lord so that when we stand before you, we will receive what we are due, and it will be awesome. Because you know the Lord, he sees even the motives, the good ones. He sees that motive that, oh, I, just, I tried. <laughs> I was misunderstood, but I sure did try. I was trying. I was trying to please you. And the Lord's like, I see that motive. I will reward you for that motive. He will reward the smallest things. He rewards cups of cold water. He rewards everything done with a right heart. The Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward, at the flesh, at the appearance. God looks at the heart. But we need to make it our aim to please him that we would use our days and our time and our weeks and our months and our thought processes and our influence and our money and our relationships and our job, we would use it all to try to please him. I'll just say this. You don't lose that way. You win, 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 because you feel the pleasure of the Lord often when you're living that way. And the pleasure of the Lord is infinitely better than the pleasures of this life. Infinitely better. And you live in the pleasure of the Lord. You live in the gaze of God. That I'm living a life pleasing. I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm trying. I'm reaching. I'm making my aim. And you get to experience the pleasures of God with a heart that's aimed at pleasing him as a lifestyle, as the norm, as your objective, as the reason you're on earth, and what you're trying to do with your days. I am telling you right now, you can do no better than to live a life where you aim to please him in light of the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says it to Romans as well, or to, to Rome. In the book of Romans, <clears throat> Romans 14, 10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? <clears throat> why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Okay, now the passage in 2 Corinthians it seemed to be focused on our judgment was on our choices and what we do, our actions. It says this, things done while in the body. Things done. This passage 
seems to have a whole lot to do with judgment about how we treat one another. Oh, no. It's the worst because we grate on one another's nerves. We say stuff. We do stuff. We like different stuff and don't like different stuff. And he's like, why do you judge your brother? Don't you know you're going to have to give an account to God for that? Oh, this is horrifying. We need to make it our goal, our aim, that we wouldn't judge our brother. Furthermore, that we wouldn't treat them with contempt. That we would be calculated, that we wouldn't be disrespectful or scornful or angry. To treat someone with contempt it really comes down to pride. You, you treat them as like you're better than them. Well, that's not how I think about things. Therefore, you're bad and dumb. And you, you treat someone with scorn, with contempt. He says, every action, every thought, you don't even have to say it. You just think it. <laughs> and that there's little snide remarks or little thises or that. He says, don't you realize you're going to stand before God and watch a movie screen of all those contemptuous things that you said and looks that you gave? Oh, my gosh. He says, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Don't be that way. He says, instead, you're going to stand before God's judgment seat. So be really careful in your interactions. Oh, this is... It's really a lot easier to manage what you do. Like when you think about life decisions and choices and like what do you do with your money even. That seems a lot easier and a lot more tactile and a lot more calculatable than the way we treat one another because we bump one another all day every day. We've got all sorts of opportunities. And he says, I'm warning you, Romans. I'm looking out for you. He says, you be real careful in your interactions because you're going to have to give an account for that before the judgment seat. If I could just be honest, everything that's happening right now online related to what's going on with the controversy up at IHOP and all that, I, I, I am way more feeling the fear of God related to this issue than I am the initial issue that got the whole thing started. I am feeling the fear of God on the way that we are interacting with one another, speaking about one another. Oh, we're going to have to give an account. And it's like, oh, no, because, you know, you've got this status in this life. The Lord's like, none of that matters. Well, they're, they're a leader. They, you know, therefore, they can say whatever they want. Or, no, that's not how this works. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God and have to give an account for how we treated one another. When we were pressed. See, because it's easy to be nice to everybody when everybody's nice and everybody's having a good day. That's not even an issue. It's when you're not having a good day and when the other one's not being nice. What are you going to do in response? This subject, I am telling you, it matters. And then the third one that we'll look at and then we'll be done for the night. So worship leader, you can come on up. First one, judged for the things that we chose and did. Second, judged at the judgment seat for our treatment of one another. And again, judged isn't a bad word. I mean, think about in a trial, one person's guilty and one person's innocent. The judge is your friend if you're innocent. The judge is for you. So judgment is a good thing too. We just want to make sure we're getting on the right side of it. So what we chose and did, our treatment of one another, and now, lastly, 
what we built for Jesus. What we built. It is important that every believer understands we are responsible to build the kingdom of God. It must go beyond us just having the fruit of the Spirit and us loving our brother. That is an excellent starting point at the personal level, but you must advance the kingdom of God. As a member of the body of Christ, your job is to be a worker in the kingdom and to move the kingdom of God forward. And so Paul says this. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, for we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field, God's building. And by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. But then he says this in this whole conversation about building stuff for God. He says, each one should be careful how he builds. See, it's not just apostles. It's not just pastors or leaders or, you know, certain people in the body of Christ. It's every believer must be careful how he builds. Wait a minute, how he builds? I wasn't even thinking about building. That's part of the problem. Every believer in Christ needs to be thinking about building. Building what? The kingdom of God. That can look a million ways, but it can't look like nothing. Nothing doesn't work. Nothing doesn't count. We must, as believers in Christ, as members of his kingdom, we must advance his kingdom. And we advance it according to what we have, what we understand, but not nothing. It can't be nothing. And he says this, as you build, and everyone is going to be building something, he says, if a man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burnt up, this is horrifying. If what he has built with his life, or she, if what they have built in this life, if what they did while in the body, if the way that they invested themselves is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, go to heaven, get a resurrected body, but only as one escaping through the flames. Oh my gosh, how can this be real and true? It's like you just did this one last run and jump, and just as you jumped, the fire was right there nipping at your butt. He says, you escaped. You escaped the flames. But everything that you labored for, it's for nothing. So many are going to get patted on the back in this age. Look at the way you spent your time. Your culture applauds you. Look at the way you invested your talents. You're good at stuff, and you used all of the stuff you were good at for yourself. You spent all your money and your time on yourself, and you built stuff out of wood, hay, and straw. We're going to stand before the Lord. We're going to smile real big at him. And he's going to light a match. And the whole thing is <laughs> disappear. But Jesus, I went to church. I was a Christian. I, I gave a little. I says, you wasted your life. Here, you're in. You are saved. But you don't get the reward like that dude or gal next to you. 
Because while they were in this life, they thought soberly about their time, about their life. They made it their aim, their goal to please me every day. And when they didn't, they called that a bad idea and said, no more bad idea. I please you tomorrow. And they made it their aim to please me. And what they built will survive. They built things for me. They used their time and attention, their efforts to advance the kingdom of God and not to just live a fat, happy American life. He says that they will receive their reward. This is, this is important stuff. Paul talking about the resurrection and using it as a motivation. Talking about the, the judgment seat of Christ and trying to help us to understand all these ideas are related. The life you're living now, the purpose of God for your life, your future reality in heaven, it's all, it's all part of a process of getting the revelation I'm going to stand before him and he's going to look and assess the way that I live my life in this age. And forever I am going to live out of the blessing or the poor choices that I chose. We got one life. I'm just trying to pray like crazy for myself and you that we would choose to use this life with wisdom like we're actually going to live forever and not, I've got to experience all the good that I possibly can in the years that I've got because there is no eternity. That's how the lost live. We are not lost. We have the deposit of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to guarantee we have better days ahead of us. Let us spend ourselves in this age endeavoring to see the kingdom of God advancing and it will be costly. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.